So like I said, we are going to be focusing on Ruth and Naomi today. But before we turn to Scripture, let's pray. Living God, help us to hear your holy word with open hearts so that we might truly understand and that in our understanding we might believe and in believing that we might follow in faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. As we study together, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I mentioned, our scripture today comes from the first chapter of the book of Ruth. And as we begin our time there, we've jumped ahead several centuries since last week. So in the blink of an eye, 300 years have passed. Uh, Last week we saw Moses give the sermons in Deuteronomy. And he was in Moab, the place where our story today takes place. Um, That was the land across from what would ultimately be the promised land of Judah. But we also know that Moses died there, and Joshua led the people into the promised land, and they established themselves there. They renewed the covenant with God once again. But once Joshua died, there was a slow re-infiltration of all the enemies who they had conquered. And in the era of Judges, when our story takes place, things had gotten pretty bad in the, for the people of Israel. There was no central authority. Everyone did as they saw fit. The, the phrase that the scripture often uses is they did what was right in their own eyes. And so you can imagine when there's nothing to govern us, when there's nothing to tell us how to act and what to do, that things would just be chaotic. And it was. an anarchy reigned. Um, there were horrific acts of murder, assaults, barbaric abuse of all kinds, and um, even, and maybe even especially the women and children weren't safe. No one was safe from this terror that reigned in this time. So it was a difficult time in history, and it's in this context that we are introduced to Naomi and Ruth. And so hear these words from Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahalon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Mahalon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. And, Naomi, and when, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home, and may the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of one another. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept out loud, and said to her, We will go back with you to your people." But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? 
Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept out loud again. And then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and I will be buried there. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And so you'll notice that our story starts in famine. We don't know how long it had been going on. We don't know what caused it. Was it lack of rain or too much rain or rain at the wrong time or pests or disease or war? But we know that it wiped out the land. And we're sure that Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons were desperate enough to leave the familiarity of their home and the place where they knew and journey to the foreign land of Moab to find what they needed. And there's a bit of irony in the story here. The, the name of Bethlehem literally means house of bread, house of, of bread. There should have been abundance. There should have been enough. And yet, it didn't provide, and the city didn't live up to its name. And so Naomi and Elimelech and an unknown number of other people left Bethlehem. In their relocation to Moab, Naomi, Elimelech, and their sons found relief from the famine. But this new land didn't protect them against other disasters. And Naomi experiences a famine of a different kind. While they were in Moab, Elimelech died, leaving Naomi and her sons. Her sons married Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah, but then they too met an untimely end. The text emphasizes the woman was left without her two sons and without her husband. At that time, a woman's whole worth was bound up in the man that she was married to and the sons that she bore. And upon her husband's death, usually a widow would rely on her sons to take care of her. And if she had none, then she might have to sell herself into slavery, into prostitution, or she may just have to give up and die. At this point, Naomi was no better than an orphan. She was vulnerable to poverty, vulnerable to exploitation, and she had no hope. 
When Elimelech died and Naomi's two sons died, all of a sudden there was no more protection for Naomi. And in losing her entire family and the source of all her provision, she struggled. It would have been hard enough had she been at home in Bethlehem with her extended family around her. But her anguish was magnified by the fact that she was a refugee from another country. She was all alone. And so Naomi makes the decision to return home to Bethlehem. She heard that the Lord had come to the aid of the people there. The famine had been resolved and God had provided food. And so she hoped to benefit from the blessings of Yahweh and the compassion of her extended family in the area. Even though she still wouldn't have any wealth or any status, she knew that the Mosaic law that governed her land was concerned for the widows and the poor. There were specific instructions to protect these kinds of people. Deuteronomy mandated that when fields and vines were harvested, that anything that wasn't gathered during the first process had to be left behind. And then those who didn't have land, that didn't have money, could go and gather what they needed and be fed. Even a, percent, a percentage of what was harvested had to be set aside for those in need. And so Naomi would be able to survive in her homeland by gathering from what had been left behind by others. But she still had a problem, Ruth and Orpah. According to Israelite law and custom, a widow was expected to remain a part of her husband's family even after his death. And his family was to provide for her needs. And so Ruth and Orpah were dependent on Naomi for their care as well. But Naomi couldn't even provide for herself. And so how in the world was she going to provide for Ruth and for Orpah? And so Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. Now, as I read and studied this passage, as I looked at different commentaries, each commentator had a different take on what might have motivated Naomi to give Ruth and Orpah this opportunity. As I said, it was customary that once a woman was married, that she remained with her husband's family, even if he died. And so Ruth and Orba were obligated with, to stay with Naomi. Naomi was obligated to care for them. But here we find Naomi giving this countercultural offer to go back, to, to forget what had happened, and to go build brand new lives. Some of the commentaries said that Naomi may have sent them away because she was so traumatized by her loss. I mean, it's no small thing to lose your husband and both of your children. Some assumed that she didn't want anyone else around. She didn't want to be accompanied in her grief. She was trying to prove that she had it the worst. And to, to prove that, the commentaries cite the, the verse, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Some claim that Naomi just couldn't handle the grief and the struggle of Ruth and Orpah because she was so consumed with her own distress. And so sending them away, she said, you know, get out of here. I can't, I can't provide for you. I can't care for you. I don't want you depending on me. Another commentator suggested that because Ruth and Orpah weren't pregnant and they hadn't had any sons, that Naomi tries to get rid of them because they're not of any value to her. They have nothing to add, 
you know, if these younger women had had male offspring, then the trio would have had some hope for their care and provision as those young men grew up and took on responsibility for Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. But there were no offspring, no potential for any, and so Ruth and Orpah and Naomi are hopeless, and so she sends them away. But other commentators suggest that Naomi's instruction was an incredible grace to her daughters-in-law, not motivated by grief, but motivated by love and care for them. As we read through the text, we see that grief and affection for one another had to have been a part of their relationship. They had lived together for probably 10 years at this point, and their relationship seems strengthened because we, we read over and over again that at the prospect of splitting up that they wept and they, they were so upset, their hearts were, were torn apart at the idea of each going back to their own home. In giving this grace, Naomi was probably concerned for the safety and security of her daughters-in-law, and that motivated her, her allowing them to leave as well. Naomi had already experienced what it meant to be an outsider, a refugee, an immigrant, an immigrant in Moab. And so maybe Naomi wants to spare Ruth and Orpah a similar experience in Judah, where they'd be cut off completely from their own families, from everything that was familiar. And we already mentioned the chaos and violence that defined that time for Israel. So it's possible that Naomi wanted to spare these women who she had lived with and grown to love a brutal life full of terror and violence. It's important to note that the Moabites weren't well respected in Israel at all. They weren't viewed favorably. Even Naomi and Elimelech's decision to seek refuge in Moab would have been scandalous at the time. The, um, the dominant picture of the Moabites was as shameful, inhospitable, dangerous people. They were the result of an incestuous relationship. They were the result of unfaithfulness. We see throughout Israel's history that when Israel passed through Moab in their final approach to the Promised Land, the Moabites attempted to curse the Israelites. As the Israelite men took an interest in the Moabite women, they were won over to worshiping the Moabite god of Baal. And so... There's no love between these two lands. There is nothing good about Moab in Israel's view. And so Naomi likely assumes that the community in Bethlehem would have not welcomed her daughters-in-law from Moab. And that she believe, and Naomi believes then for Ruth and Orpah to stay in Moab is the best possible option for them. That's where they can find the promise of a full and secure life. That's the best hope for safety for them and prosperity. If they can go back home and find new husbands, then everything would be okay. Ordinarily, in the case of a death of a male, a near relative, a brother, an uncle, a cousin, must marry the widow to keep the male line alive. But Naomi says, I don't even have any male relatives for you to marry, to serve as husbands for you. And she even carries that, that argument to its absurd conclusion. She says, even if there was any hope for me, even if I should meet a husband tonight and have sons, would you want to wait until they were all grown up to marry them and then have sons 
of your own? Would you want to wait for them to be old enough to be your husbands? We assume that at the time that this was taking place, at the time when they were returning to Judah, that Naomi was at the end of her childbearing years or, or past it. If she was married in her mid-teens, as was the custom of the day, and then had two sons that grew up to be of marriage age, which was a little bit before 20 years old for men, then she'd likely be in her mid to late 40s by that time. And so her prospect of finding a husband is meager at best, and then the prospect of bearing sons is even less likely than that. And Ruth and Orpah were probably in their mid-20s already, and so even if it was possible for Naomi to find a husband and to wait and to have sons and wait for them to grow, Ruth and Orpah would have been past the time when they could have had children as well. And so Ruth and Orpah have two options. They could be free of their obligation to Naomi as her daughters-in-law. They could return to their families and return to, or they could return to Judah with her. Returning to their families would have provided for their well-being. It would have provided opportunity to find a new husband. It would have restored their lives. And they wouldn't have been subject to the life of poverty and anguish that faced them if they returned to Judah with Naomi. And so maybe, maybe Naomi did try to send Ruth and Orpah away because of her grief, because she was overcome with bitterness. She even asks for her name to be changed to that later. Maybe she was overwhelmed by the prospect of caring for them for the rest of their lives. Or maybe she was trying to send them back because of her love for them. It was probably a combination of both. By sending them back, Naomi was releasing everyone from the burden. And yet, as we as we think about what she may have been thinking and what she may have been feeling, there are some clues in the text that help us to understand even more. Naomi's heart in this time is shown in her prayer for her daughters-in-law. She prays, May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dear husbands, to your dead husbands, and to me. The, uh, the Common English Bible translates that verse May the Lord show you faithfulness as you have shown faithfulness to your dead husbands and to me. That word that's translated faithfulness or kindness is so much more than just existing with someone. It's so much more than just polite generosity or tenderness or a feeling of affection. The Hebrew word that's used there is hesed, which has a depth of meanings including loving kindness or steadfast love, covenant love, faithfulness, loyalty, generosity, care. So when we hear all those things together, we get a fuller picture of what Naomi was praying for her daughters-in-law. This word hesed is more often attributed to God's kind of love for the people that he created and for us than it is to humans. And so in praying this prayer, Naomi is blessing Ruth and Orpah. It seems to indicate that Naomi wants the best possible things for their lives, and she knows that life with her isn't it. And so she gives them this offer. Go back to your mother's home. Go find husbands there. Go build a life. And so Orpah returns home, and 
Sometimes as we read this scripture, we can villainize Orpah a little bit. We paint her as a sellout and a fair-weather daughter-in-law who took the first opportunity to bail. But I think before we paint her as the unfaithful one, I think it's important to remember that she honored Naomi's request. She knew that her continued presence with Naomi would be a stress and a burden. And so she left to lighten the load on her mother-in-law, who she loved. I think that the continued mention of the grief at the severing of their relationship shows that Orpah didn't take this decision lightly. She didn't just pack up and go at the first sign of trouble. She did what she thought was best for Naomi and for herself. And then the flip side, Ruth's decision was equally as faithful. We're told that Ruth clung to Naomi. And the verb here to cling is that same verb that's used in Genesis when we're told that a man clings to his wife and that they become one. And so it's an intimate verb, a strong verb showing the deepest of relationships and devotion. And it shows that Ruth was unwilling to let go under any circumstances. It's at this point in the passage where we hear that well-known, often cited verse. It's often read at weddings. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God, and nothing but death will separate us. We see from this, this proclamation that Ruth was unshakably committed to life with Naomi, even if it meant giving up everything. Ruth was willing to leave the system that she had grown up with. She was willing to adopt the worship of Naomi's God. She was willing to go to Bethlehem. She really would have been giving up everything, every support that she had, every faith that she ever had. Ruth wouldn't have been able to continue her worship of her own gods or the gods of her ancestors. The, the places to worship wouldn't exist in Bethlehem. She would have to be dedicated to Yahweh and to the other local gods. But she's willing to, to claim a strange god as her own, and that's really incredible, especially when you think that up until this point, all she had known was loss in Naomi's life. Naomi had claimed to worship the god of Yahweh, the god Yahweh, and yet she had experienced famine. She had experienced the loss of her husband. She had experienced the loss of her son, Heartache and famine and death seem to be the only certain things about life with Naomi. And yet Ruth is still willing to embrace that and endure it. And yet despite these hardships, Ruth had come to trust in Naomi. And by extension, Ruth had come to trust in Naomi's God, the God of Israel. Ruth's decision wasn't impulsive. She knew what she was doing. She was familiar with the Israelite customs. She had lived in them with her husband before he died. But Ruth's devotion isn't initially because she was sure that Yahweh was the one God, but she was sure of Naomi and who Naomi was. And that was enough. That was enough of a trust, of a faith, of a relationship for Yahweh to be revealed and to use that relationship for divine glory. You know, maybe Ruth's decision was because of the model that Naomi had been in Ruth's life. Even in the midst of crying out in grief, Ruth felt free to claim Yahweh as her own. When Ruth left Moab, she left those other gods behind because she had seen something in Naomi that made her want to be 
in a relationship with her God. It made her want to worship Naomi's God. And this God that Ruth was embracing was the God that Naomi believed could show covenant love to Ruth and to Orpah. That was the basis of her prayer. She knew that despite all of the terrible things in her life, that her God could show love and kindness and faithfulness to her daughters-in-law, even in Moab, and even at the same time that life was so difficult. If you were with us over the summer, you know that we rolled out a new mission statement, and the, the purpose of CCUPC is to expand Christ's kingdom. And one of the pillars of that mission is that we expand Christ's kingdom through our relationships. And Ruth and Naomi show us what those relationships should look like. It, we realize that if we assume the best in each woman, that each woman has the best interest of the other one at her heart, at, as her goal, as the basis for her decision. Naomi wanted to release Ruth from her obligation. She wants for her daughter-in-laws, what, her daughters-in-law, what every Jewish mom wants for her daughter, a home or, and rest and peace and security, satisfaction, a husband. These are the things that would guarantee Ruth's future, and that's what Naomi wants for her. But at the same time, Ruth wanted to care for and help Naomi. She didn't want to leave her all alone with no support. She wanted to be her family, even if it meant a life of hardship and famine. Both women's hearts were broken. Both were, were completely full of grief. And we would have completely understood if, if each of them were selfish in this situation. Naomi could have compelled Ruth to remain bound to her, to fulfill her duty and her obligation, to care for her for the rest of her existence, even if that existence was defined by poverty. Ruth could have abandoned Naomi to pursue a different future, saying, I don't want that life, and leaving her mother-in-law to suffer by herself. But instead, Naomi granted permission to go, and Ruth stayed. Even when Naomi was bitter and angry, even when Ruth had the right to be bitter and angry herself, they treat each other with the loving kindness that Naomi prays for for Ruth and for Orpah. If you read through the rest of the book of Ruth, which I encourage you to do this week because it's a really great story, Naomi finds blessing from the Lord because of Ruth, who loves her and has proven her faithfulness to her. And Ruth receives blessing because Naomi lived in such a way that it caused Ruth to say, I want that. She saw something different, even in Naomi's grief. Even in the midst of death and loss, she realized that Naomi's God is to be trusted and worshipped. And so each woman gave themselves up for the other, and each one received blessing from one another. Naomi and Ruth embody the kind of loving kindness that is so often attributed to God, especially in the context of a culture that does what's right in its own eyes. And so as we develop our relationships today, as we think about what a church based in relationship should look like, we should be characterized by that same sort of loving kindness. 
If we do that, we too come to a fuller understanding of our faith and we come to a fuller understanding of God's relationship with us. Anyone who has ever been in a relationship at all knows that it takes fierce and determined love to stay in a covenant relationship. Whether that relationship is marriage, whether it's a friendship or a relationship within the church and in the body of Christ, to be in that kind of relationship means putting another's needs before your own. It takes love. It takes unshakable commitment. It takes forgiveness and grace. This is the kind of love for one another that isn't rooted in our feelings. It's not rooted in affection or passion. It's not rooted in our whims or what benefits us. It doesn't matter what the relationship provides for us. Instead, this loving kindness is rooted in the deep and abiding sacrificial care that Christ had for us and that we can have for one another. Relationships take the kind of love that Ruth and Naomi demonstrated in this story as their lives unfold. It takes the kind of love that God revealed to us throughout Israel's history and in the person and work of Christ. And these are the kind of relationships that God requires for the covenant of people. This is the kind of relationship that God wants with us. These are the kinds of relationships that reveal just how much God loves us. And if these are the kind of relationships that we're building, then God is going to use them to change the world. And again, we see this worked out in Ruth and Naomi's story. On a personal level, when Ruth becomes family to Naomi, Naomi helped to realize Ruth's further redemption. Ruth was introduced to Yahweh because of Naomi. And Ruth the Moabite finds herself redeemed through Boaz and then ultimately through Jesus. And friends, we also need people along our way to get us in the position for God to do something significant in our lives, to save us or to teach us, to become more evident to us. This past week at the men's breakfast, we looked at the faithful friends who were willing to dig through the roof to get their paralyzed friends in front of Jesus. We need those people in our lives. We need faithful friends who are willing to do whatever it takes so that we can encounter the love of God. And sometimes we need to be those friends as well. We need to love and care enough for the people around us that we want to make sure that they get into the presence of God. When we show that kind of hesed devotion and care for one another, when we help others to experience the grace and love of Christ, other people are redeemed because of us. And again, there's a flip side. Because Ruth became family to Naomi, Naomi understands what's been evident all along in her life. At the end of of Ruth, the other Israelite women said that Ruth's love is worth more than seven sons. Naomi, who who is without a son at all, is told, you have more than even what the perfect Jewish family looks like, which at the time was considered to be seven sons and three daughters. They told her, you have so much more than that. Grace was walking right beside Naomi, and it refused to leave her. And because of Ruth, Naomi will be cared for and blessed, and she'll be redeemed 
for the rest of her life. We also see God using this relationship on a global level. You and I would not be a part of God's covenant if it hadn't been for Ruth's care for her mother-in-law. Ruth wasn't Jewish by birth, and so she didn't have access to any of the privileges or benefits of those who were born and raised Jews. And yet, by the end of the book in Ruth, we see that she is in the lineage of David, and therefore in the lineage of Jesus. God used the devotion of Ruth to bring about redemption of the whole world, Jews and Gentiles alike. And just like I told the kids, our relationships can change the world too. When people look at relationships rooted in Christ, when they see the church as she was called to be, we want them to see a community that isn't like the world around us. We want them to see relationships that aren't like everyone else. We want them to see a community that puts the needs of others before our own needs. We want them to see relationships that make the words of Jesus true We want to conduct our lives and relationships in such a way that God's glory is embodied in our lives and others around us can't help but take notice and say, I want that for my life too. Last week as we looked at Deuteronomy, we saw in our study that the Shema, of the Shema, that the worship of the Creator God is something that we live out. Our worship isn't just empty words. It's not just rituals. It's not just memorizing a bunch of laws. It's something that we know inside and out. We hold it close. We talk about it. We learn about it. We demonstrate it. We display it to one another. We pass it on. And this worship is something we embody in our relationships with one another. We're told to live lives that model hesed, the kind of covenant, loyalty, commitment, and love that Ruth showed to Naomi and Naomi showed to Ruth. The kind of love that that Jesus demonstrated and the kind of love that he asks us, he asks of us when he commands us to love one another as he has loved us. Friends, this week, let's pay attention to Ruth and Naomi. Let's pay attention to the relationships in our lives, and let's pray that those relationships would be modeled after this hesed love for one another. Because when we live lives like that, our relationships testify to our Creator God. Let's let that be our deepest desire and our deepest prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are so thankful For this example, we are so thankful for the care that Ruth and Naomi and Orpah showed one another. And we pray, God, that our relationships too would model that same kind of care and respect and love and grace. We pray that as we go about our weeks, as we build our relationship, our relationships inside the church and outside, that others would look at us and see you. It's our deepest prayer, God. And it's the cry of our hearts as we lift our voices to you, saying amen.